The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. Aspect of our study that we're going to be looking at here today, and that is what do we do when we gather? And we're going to be looking at some different things related to this. Uh, for a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this part. We're going to just kind of be asking some questions about what does this look like at church? What does this look like at church? And things like that. They're not all about what do we do when we gather, but they're going to be related topics on this. As we're looking at our larger topic is church dynamics. And for a long time in church dynamics, we're looking at the church related to the glory of God. Now we're going to be looking at some of these other other matters. And I think one of the reasons that this is it's important for us to maybe pick up our Bibles and actually read about this <clears throat> is nowhere in the Bible does it actually tell us that when you get together, you got to do this, 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 and this. In other words, there's nowhere in the Word of God that says you have to have an opening prayer. You don't have to give announcements. <laughs> um you have to have this this message. Oh, it'd even be better. I could, how would they have passed out notes? They all would have been handwritten. See, I mean, things that we do. You got to sing three songs. Uh, I mean, it's just, we, it never tells us anywhere that it had to be like this. We're going to look, not today, but next week, we're going to look at, at an, an example of what was going on in one particular church in terms of what they did. But there's other things around that that we need to think about. And part of, I think, looking at this is the fact that we have tradition in our mind, right? And we are working on, think about this, 20 centuries of church history, church tradition in the way that we do things. And so if you come into our church, and this kind of became a point of conversation on Wednesday night when we were talking about things that churches do, is that we can look at this and say, well, this is the way the church meets. And then you you go off and you visit another church. You're with some friends and such, and you go and visit their church and you go, well, this is not what our, this is not what church looks like. This is, this is different. But maybe what they're doing isn't necessarily wrong. It's just different than what we do with tradition like that. Um, so it, those are some things that I think we need to talk about. I, I'm going to be really honest. I think one of the things that hardly any churches, any churches do that I think, I think is in scripture reflects the fact that they did do this is that Paul says when he taught or Luke tells us when Paul taught his teaching was a back and forth communication. I think that he's saying things and people are responding with stuff and they're responding with, with information. Paul didn't get up and give a monologue for two, three, four, yeah, four hours. One time until early morning he was doing this. We know we went on until midnight, but then it says he went on until close to dawn. So they went through the night. Can you imagine keeping your eyes open as you sat in here and I got up and I held your attention for three hours and then we go another four? Can, I'd have trouble doing that. But um, it's just that, that that to me always challenges me on how we how I teach that uh, as I look at what Luke tells us the way Paul taught, that there was a little bit more of a, more of a back and forth than we do when we have one person getting up here and, as I said, giving a monologue. But with this, let's go over to Acts chapter 2 and let's walk through some things. 
Um, most of you are familiar, Acts chapter 2 is the day that uh, uh, these uh, about 120 <laughs> believers go out in the city of Jerusalem. They're speaking in the language of these, these Jews from all over the world. And it's important for you to understand we're talking about Jews from all over the world. We're not talking about just everybody. In fact, that's one of the things when you go through the early part of the book of, book of Acts, they weren't going to the Gentiles. <coughs> Excuse me. They were not going to the Gentiles. They were going only to the Jews for quite some time. In fact, when they heard that the gospel went out to the Gentiles or that the people were spending time with the Gentiles, it kind of alarmed them. But that aside, we come down here with these first believers. We're going to put into, uh, let's go to verse 41. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It says, So then those who had received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. <coughs> so they start with 120, and that day there's about 3,000 people. Now, um, people look at that and they think, well, that's conversions, but that's not all conversions. And we've talked about that before because it tells you in the first part of this chapter that there were gathered here, and he uses this word that uh, Jim went over that our Bibles translate godly. Sometimes they translate it pious, but it's people that were honoring God. In other words, there were Old Testament believers that had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and so they're there keeping this feast day, and this is, and they're part of the group that hears this message. So you have a bunch of people that have transitioned from some Old Testament faith, maybe faith that Jesus was indeed going to be, the, or was indeed the Son of God and was going to be king, now over here to the fact that this Jesus has died and is risen. So they've moved from this content of faith to another content of faith. There's also in chapter 2, you find other sorts of people that Peter actually warns them, save yourselves from this race, this evil race. You know, So there's some Jews that are there that aren't believers, and they get saved now for the very first time. So you've got two groups of people in this crowd. You've got both um, believing Jews and unbelieving Jews, and these people transition. These people actually have to believe for the very first time. They have not ever believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And so added about 3,000 souls that day. And they were continually, then it says here in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things that these people had in common when they gathered together. They were, and this word that's translated devote means they were holding fast. They had a tight grip on this thing. Is, is uh, the picture, it's a, and obviously it's talking about a mental picture in terms of their conduct. It says, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. That word for teaching, take a guess what you think it is. When the apostles are teaching, what do you think they're teaching? Doctrine. Doctrine? What kind of doctrine? Yeah, doctrine that governs their conduct. Doctrine that get, that's for their practice, and this is what the apostles are doing. I'm going to ask you, where do you think the apostles got that doctrine for their practice? Because it doesn't say they were practicing the law of Moses, although that also we find out is some of what they're doing. The upper room, where Jesus gives them all these, this information in the upper room. Anybody want to throw out a, what are a couple things out of the upper room that the apostles would have been teaching these people? that they were going to be in, in Christ and Christ would be in them. That was one of the things that, that Jesus Christ taught. Love. 
the command to love. Yeah, exactly. So th those are a couple of examples. There's some other things in that upper room, but so they're, they're holding fast to this as the apostles are doing this. Second of all, to fellowship. What's fellowship? It, it's what? It's sharing in common. What are ways that people share in common? What are ways that you can share in common with believers? Food for sure. Food for sure. <laughs> I asked Stan that question the other night. I mentioned, I said we were going to start talking in this, and I said, what's one of the things that we know that believers did together? And Stan said, eating. Eating. <laughs> yeah. You, you have a few references here in the book of Acts, the fact that believers spent time eating together. Okay. Um, that, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for Josh and Faye starting us on Wednesday nights, getting together and sharing a meal together on Wednesday nights. And some of us, you, some of it may be a challenge because you've got this one more meal a week I've got to fix for a whole bunch of people. But it's an opportunity to share fellowship around that food. And it is one of the things that the church did. We're going to come to that in even a little bit more detail in just a little bit. So fellowship, what is another way that you can fellowship? Yeah, so you can be talking about God's word, you can be worshiping God, or just visiting. It, it's fellowship, just catching up with other people. We always elevate fellowship, like fellowship has to be this high thing where we have this really high attitude about everything. But fellowship in scripture can, includes this, of course, but there's all kinds of other things on this spectrum that make up fellowship. Sometimes just talking and finding out, how are your kids doing? taking time just to find out and relate to people in their lives and the things that are going on. So there's fellowship. Well, not always, not always how are the kids doing, but sometimes how are you doing? How's the job going? Things like that. And then he goes on, he says, and the breaking of bread, what does that sound like? Food, that's food. Now there's two things that go along with this. And there's a lot of people that they, it's really interesting reading commentaries because they're like, is this eating meals or is this communion? And there's a certain segment that are say, oh, breaking of bread only is communion. And then others like, well, it's eating meals. And I think it's both. And do you know why I think it's both? Why do you think it's both? Why do you think it's both eating meals together and sharing communion? Does anybody have an idea? Because what? They, yeah, they had communion all the time and they never did. What do we do? We have this time up here where we set this up and we have communion here. When did they do communion? When they're having a meal. When they're, having a meal. they're sitting around a table and they're eating food together. And in the midst of that, they do this also this other breaking of bread in which they walk through a, through a communion uh, meal together. A remembrance. A remembrance, exactly. So this is, what, this is what they're doing here in this. Boy, we like that because we have the name Baptist out front. And Baptist means in another language, those that eat potlucks together. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, I grew up with that sometimes that you had this idea that, man, I tell you, if anybody knew how to eat, it was us. We had way more potlucks than the other churches in our town did when I was growing up as a kid. <clears throat> it says, and then the last one there, verse 42 and they devoted themselves to prayer. And that's our word that becomes a word for worship, which 
we're going to look at a passage down the road here in just a little bit that kind of maybe uh, stretches us a little bit to think about it. But the importance of, of worship in our communication is I don't think any of these people ever thought of talking to God without worship. It wasn't natural for them. Talking to God, you come to God and you're asking for something. That's fine. But you always were worshiping God when you did that. Worship was involved in that. Because if you're going to talk to somebody, is it important for you when you're talking to somebody? If I go and talk to Dwight, is there something, is it important perhaps for me to have a good conversation with him to think about who he is? Is that going to affect that? If I walk in there and I just, I, and there, maybe there's, I've known Dwight long enough, I know that there's some hot buttons that I could push. <laughs> and I go in there and I'm just boom, 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 pushing those things. What's that going to do for the conversation? Probably it's going to stifle a little bit. Probably going to, you know, it, it's not going to make it as the kind of conversation that you'd like to have. Okay. And I think that that's, I think that we all understand that. So worship is a key part of it because we need to be thinking about who God is as we're communicating. So he says, this is what they were doing. Verse 43, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. That word that's awe there is the word fear, but we get the word awesome from this, but it's the word fear. They had a sense of fear. Uh, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and they had all things common. This is just something that they're doing. They weren't, they weren't instructed anywhere that they were supposed to have all things common. It's just something that they wanted to do. They began even selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. We read that today in our 21st, and well, I grew up in the 20th century. I'm, well, I'm still growing up, I guess. So in the 20th, 21st century, and we look at them and go, what? You don't do that. That's foolish. But the Bible never in any way criticizes these people for what they did. Caring for each other was more important than having stuff, which is a, a good lesson for all of us to stop and think about that. And day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple. The temple is the area where they met largely, but he says every day they're doing this. That's a, that day by day means they're doing this every day. Again, I think this is one of the things that, that church through the centuries has lost, is that we meet once or twice a week. But they met daily. Now, that doesn't mean everybody met, met every day because that doesn't mean everybody could make it every day. But every day, they're making it available for people to come together. But think about that. Think, and I, I had this conversation with somebody, I don't remember who it was recently, but we were talking about the fact that, when, that the early church met daily and they're thinking, yeah, but we've got all kinds of other opportunities, don't we? You know, so it start when you got kids, you got out, you got kids and, and pretty soon the kids are in, well, this kid's in soccer and this kid's in football and this kid's in volleyball. And so you got all these after school activities you do it. You know, this kid's taking swimming lessons. Yeah, so, okay. So most of you as parents, you all been there. So your kids are busy. And, but then pretty soon the kids are grown up and everything. Now, now you're busy because it's like, well, now I've got this. I've got to go off and I've got to do this work and I've got this thing. And all of a sudden, our, we just, let's put it this way. Our, the world is going to keep us busy. And we can choose in that busyness to say, I'm going to take time to do stuff with other believers or I'm just going to occupy myself being busy with everything else. They were meeting daily. 
And I'm not trying to say this to guilt us. I'm just trying to help us say, we sometimes maybe need to think about how we get together and how often we take advantage of being together with other believers. Now, let's add a detail to this. Does that mean that, we, that it always has to be an organized gathering? In other words, your opportunities here are Sundays. We have three opportunities on Sundays to get together. Four if we include dinner, okay? Um, and then we have uh, Wednesday nights and we have Thursday nights. So those are the times. What about other opportunities to be together with other believers? Are there other times that you can gather and do stuff with other believers? Could you say, hey, I'm going to invite some believers over to my house and we're going to spend some time doing some things together like this. These are all the kinds of things, but they were doing this at the temple daily. And the reason they're doing this at the temple is because it allowed them space. There were no church buildings. There were no church buildings for the first four centuries of the church. It was actually into the fourth century that they began to have buildings that they were meeting. They weren't building them. They were taking, they were using other buildings that were there. We're going to see an example of one of those, hopefully before we're done. So, No, I read through that. We just didn't stop on that. But that's important. And it says wonders and signs. This back in verse 43 were taking place through the apostles. So it doesn't mean everybody were doing signs and wonders, but the apostles were. And remember, this is because the apostles are, thank you, Ben. The apostles are laying the foundation for the church. And one of the things that they had that signs and wonders were there to do what? On behalf of the apostles. Yep. Straight to the Jews, Jesus is the real thing. Yeah, yeah. It gave it, Ben was trying to get the word authentic out. They were authenticating that these guys were legitimate. But they also had usually false prophets doing similar things, weren't they? They did have problems with that. Yeah, so, so they had ways of handling some of that, yeah. or they were given some instructions on how to handle that. So they're authenticating that this Jesus is, that they are genuine, that this Jesus that they're talking about is genuine, and it's laying the foundation because who is the foundation of the church? Christ is the foundation, okay? Thank you for taking us back to that. We read through it, but we kind of blitzed past it. And so back in verse 46, and day by day they were continuing with one mind or one accord. That one accord is not a Honda automobile. <laughs> You've all heard that joke, right? That the saints were all in one accord. The Hondas and the new... It's not that. Some of you guys don't even have that. My New American Standard says with one mind. But the idea was, in the Greek, it's one heat. You go, what does that mean? It means that there was one thing that, shall we say, that, that kind of warmed them up, got them excited. One thing that they were very passionate about. And that was being together. That's what he's getting at, this idea. It's not like it, and did you probably have some that were dragging their feet going, oh, I probably should go. Yeah, I'm sure you probably had some of those. But by and large, these people wanted to be doing these things. They weren't doing it and go, oh man, it's Wednesday night. I've been working all day. I'm tired. I just want to put my feet up and do whatever you do. Um, no, they were saying, hey, I want to take this time. I want to do this Sunday morning. I, I've got other things I would rather do, you know. Nope, they, they're taking this time businesses available uh, in there again breaking the bread so they're eating meals together from house to house meaning yes they met at the temple but they're also going around to houses and they're meeting at each other's houses now obviously I probably nobody out of this group 3,120 
if we take the numbers strictly speaking, um, there's not 3,000, there's nobody that has a house for 3,000 people to meet in. But if you think about the area of Jerusalem, you probably, it's similar to what people do today. You got people that live over in this area and they're meeting over here in Bob's house and, and people meeting over here in, in Jim's house and people over here living in Jan's house and meeting. And you get the idea. There's people that are gathering in all these houses throughout this, this vicinity of Jerusalem. And they're gathering together. So it's not like the meeting of the church was always just one giant meeting of 3,000 people. So most of them were slaves, weren't they? Not the Jews. Most of the Jews were not slaves. Most of the Jews were, were farmers and independent business people. Most of the Jews were. That came later. Because the Jews, the Jews largely weren't enslaved people. They were under the thumb of... It's actually when you get out into the Roman world and you have Paul reading, reaching, reading, reaching Gentiles that you have a larger percentage of Jews. Although what's interesting, when you read Paul talking about the people that are reached, you go into cities like Thessalonica, and a large group of prominent women from the community. Are prominent women slaves? No. Would you say like the city council or ma women married to city council members? Uh, this is back in the day when city council members were all guys. Um, would you say that they're most likely slaves? Probably not. So, um, so you had a, a you did have a large percentage of slaves in the Roman Empire, but there's not evidence that all the all the churches were largely comprised just of slaves. So we though we know that that some were. So these people are meeting from house to house. They were taking their meals together. It tells us again. It adds that again here, which that probably tells you that the breaking of bread was a little bit more focus on communion, but remember they didn't do communion without meals together and with sincerity of heart. In other words, they're not largely, most of these people are not going through the motions. They're actually, they actually are doing this. They know that they wanna be with these people. I'm just gonna say this, as the church goes on, kind of like what Leslie was saying, when you move on, you do have Gentiles being reached, more and more of those Gentiles are going to be people of, from a slave background, so their ability to meet is going to depend on what they do. Although you and I need to think of slavery in the Roman Empire different than we think of slavery in the southern United, or in the United States in the past. Those slaves were not, our slaves in the United States weren't allowed to move around freely. But slaves in the New Testament, most of the slaves were allowed. In fact, a lot of those slaves were allowed to have have independent jobs where as long as you got the work done for me that I had for you, you can go off and let's say you're, you're, let's say you're a seamstress or a tailor, you can go off and you can do tailoring on the side for other people and make money. They allowed those people to do that. And sometimes by doing that, they saved up enough money that they bought their freedom. Okay. So you had a lot of people that did that. Um, school teachers. It's amazing how many prominent families in the Roman Empire had slaves that were the teachers or the tutors for their children. Instead of sending their, their kids to some larger school, you had private tutors. You had educated people that you enslaved. And their job was to educate your kids. When they were done educating the kids, they could go home to their house. But there were times that they were expected to be there. So you just you do need to think a little differently about slavery under the Roman Empire versus um, slave. What? They call it yes. Yes. So, but their meeting here in sincerity of heart. Now, I, I was going. I started. I started down a path. And I need to come back to this in terms of what what one of the things that's going on. 
um, with these people. Um, as the church goes on, more and more, well, let's, let's look at the next verse and then comment together. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. In other words, early on, the church, these people like these people. The church was not obnoxious. The church wasn't something that was stirring the pot and causing trouble all the time. Which, by the way, this is something that the, that the, the church, especially the church here in America, could get back to. Because the church in America has become exceptionally political. And the early church was not. Because they realized this world is not our home. And they really made efforts to not go that way. So they didn't stir the pot. They didn't cause these kinds of problems. As time's going to go on, eventually they're going to run into situations like happens to Paul and Lystra, where Paul and uh, Barnabas, they, raise, they heal a guy that's lame, and the people come out and go, it's Zeus and Hermes, two Greek gods. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. We are just men like you. And then some Jews that have been hearing this message and are getting kind of wound up, they get the crowd stirred up. And what does the crowd do to Paul? What do they do? They stone him. Stone him and drag him outside the city, leave him for dead. And this becomes more and more the, the, the habit. And in fact, what we end up finding out is even as the New Testament, that persecution continues to grow against the church. Persecution, because eventually the world starts going, wait a second. These people aren't like us, and they don't think like us, and they're not worshiping our gods. And they become more and more hostile. So you know what? When your day of work was done, whether you were an independent business person or whether you were a slave, what did you do? You went and got together with your family. I'm talking about the church. Because you had people there that can encourage you because they're going through the same things and they can share things with you to encourage you. We have it so comfy and so easy where we live that, I, and I've asked you this question, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands, but can anybody remember the last time you were persecuted here in our community or our area because you were a Christian? That you actually had somebody that got on you because you're a Christian, not because you got into some tiff over some political thing or got into a tiff with people over business thing or tiff into something over the way you were doing your job or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And so he says, this is the, what they were doing. And then it goes on at the end of verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were to be saved. Let's go over to chapter four here. Acts chapter four. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, and look with me at verse 23. And when they had been released, this is the, talking about the apostles, they had been, they'd been released. John and Peter had been uh, arrested because they were preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were arrested by the religious leaders of the Jews. Now when they had been released, they went to their own, that is their own people, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. That's that idea. They're all excited about this together. And they said, Oh Lord, it is you who did make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of, your, of our father David, your servant did say, Why do the Gentiles rage? And the peoples imagine an empty thing. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. 
For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you did anoint, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose has predestined or determined to happen. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And, and I was thinking about this when Jim made this comment this morning. A lot of our prayers, our, our requests to God are, God, I'm sick, make me not sick. God, I'm having trouble on the job, make the trouble go away. God, I mean, we're always asking, take me out of something bad. One of the things you're doing, by the way, if you're say, always asking God, take me out of a bad situation, is you're basically saying, I want to stay in the nursery because I don't want to face hard things. Hebrews 5 tells us even the Lord Jesus Christ matured in his human nature by going through tribulation or by going through persecution, by going through hardship. You grow by facing hardship, and God wants all of us to grow. So he goes on from there, and it says, now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants or your slaves may speak your word with boldness. They're, they're not saying, save us from these bad problems. They're saying, no, Lord, give us boldness so that even when we're facing these hard things, we want to be able to be bold in speaking your word. While you do extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is different filling than you and I have, by the way. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. The reason I come over here is, you know, one of the things that the church did together, they spent time worshiping. This communication is beautiful because most of their communication is worship. God, you're the one that made heaven and earth. You're the one that done all these things. In fact, everything that they did to Jesus Christ, it was all predetermined by you down to the, shall we say, the period at the end of the line. All of it you decided. You ever stop to think about that? I have a friend. I'm telling you about him here just a little bit ago. Very likely going to die from an illness. That Think about it. 98% of the people that have had that have had a really, really bad cold or flu or hardly any symptoms of all. But there's a few people, a small percentage that get this and, and we go, oh, what? You know, honestly, and it comes back to this. It's what God, it's what God has determined. God has in his books, Ben's talked to us about God's books before. I think he, he did a study back a couple years ago with us where he was talking some about God's books. And God has books. And one of the things that we are told in the Old Testament three times is that God has written in his books your days before everyone existed. You come into this world, God determined on February 23rd, 1964, little Timothy is going to enter the world. And on, I don't know when that day is going to be, Timothy's going to go out of the world. He's going to come home to me. This is, God has done that. And we can take comfort in that. Well, they're looking at, that's worship. Do you realize that that's worship? And do you realize how comforting that is? When you stop and think about the character of your God and the fact that he's good and he's righteous and these things, do you realize how important it is to think about that and worship him? And then to be able to have confidence in God's plan. 
rather than always just saying, God, this is a bad thing. Did you know this is a bad thing? Did you see that what they're doing to me? Take, get me out of this. Because <laughs> we can be that way. I don't know about you, but that's a tendency I think all of us have, is just to pray, take me out of this bad thing. Anyway, they prayed. By prayer, I mean they worshiped. Most of this is worship. They do have a request in there because that's the way they communicated. They worship God and they have communication. They have uh, things that are, that are put in the middle of this. We also had seen, uh, and, oh, I want you to look at this one. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Verse 1. Acts 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had, and he had James, the brother of John, John, the man that writes the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. Remember, you're in the scriptures, you have Peter, James, and John. Those were the three guys that got to go up on the mountain with Jesus and see him transfigured. So that's this James. This is not the James that writes the book of James. And it says he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Herod kills James. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, oh, the Jews liked us that, that we got rid of James. This is kind of showing you by the time you get to Acts chapter 12 how the rest of these people of Jews that initially were showing favor to the church, now they're happy that some of these guys are gone. By the way, I always wonder what James was like as a speaker in the early church because what does the Gospels describe James and John as? Thunder. Thunder. Sons of thunder. Does that mean that these kind of were quiet, milk toast guys? These are the two guys that when they're walking up to that city, says, Jesus, these people don't, they don't respect you. They won't listen to you. Shall we call down fire from, from heaven to destroy this city? <laughs> That's sons of thunder. You get an idea. But as a result, then he rested Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread that you're coming up to the Passover. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Kind of bring him out and say, hey, here he is. Should I put him to death? And so Peter was kept in the prison. But, notice this in verse 5, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And that word that's translated prayer is our word worship again. And what he says is worship is being made by the church to God around Peter. Peter is a, is a situation. He's somebody they care about, someone they're concerned for, and around him as they think, think about him, around him, they worship God. They worship God. So last Sunday afternoon, some of us were able to go out and made it out to the Joslins, and they hosted baby shower for little Bo. I barely got inside that room, walked up to get a little something to munch on, and Jacob comes up to me and talks to me about his job. And he's talking about what he's doing and things like that, and what he's thinking about what God might have him do. And then, then that kind of gets broken up, and pretty soon Jacob comes over and sits down and talks to me. And he's talking to me about trying to find a church and trying to find one and trying to find a church where that's good. And he's telling me, well, he says, this church is okay, but they, they kind of do this a little bit much. I don't know what to think about that. And I said, I said, just, just 
keep looking, but I said, maybe just be okay. If it's something that really is helpful for your wife, then maybe that would be good, you know? And so we're talking about this, but you know what that's caused me to do is that this week when I'm praying for you people and I get around over there to Jacob and Leisha, when I pray to them, I worship around them thinking, God, you're the God that cares about these people. You know what you want for them. And it's because you're a God that is much bigger than I can think that you've got something in store. And I do that with lots of you people. And I trust that you do that with me and with each other. That it's not just saying, God, oh, our brother Stan had to go to the hospital. Oh, save Stan, save him, save him, which is kind of the way we pray. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to ask for things like that. But do you ever, when you're praying for a brother, like I've been praying for my brother Dale here, do we ever worship God around those people? Do we ever stop and think, you're a God that's righteous. And what is happening with this individual is part of your righteous plan. And I don't always know why your plan does what it does. I don't know why people have to go through illnesses and have to go to the hospital or people seem to be taken out. I've got a cousin that died of cancer when he was five years old. To this day, you always look, what, what was your purpose in that God? Uh, and I don't. I think that that little that that little cousin of mine was a believer. But those are things we don't always understand. That's one of the reasons that you worship God because you need to recenter your mind. And that's what this early church is doing. They're worshiping God. They're worshiping God around. We have the Greek preposition peri around Peter. It does that mean likely that they're praying or asking for Peter too? Probably it does probably doesn't have to be stated because they're worshiping God. They pro we probably could say, yes, they're thinking about who God is, but they're thinking about God around the circumstance of Peter. And of course, when you keep going through the book of or Acts chapter 12, eventually when God miraculously frees Peter from this imprisonment, he goes to the house where they're knocking and they're knocking on the door and the people don't think it's Peter. It's not Peter, it's his spirit because they already at that point think Peter's dead. They knew what Herod just did to James. They don't know what Herod's plans are for Peter. We know from, from what Luke tells us, but they don't know. And so they think he's, but that doesn't mean that, they're, that they still don't worship God, worshiping God around him. And I think that that's an important thing for us to think about. Turn back to Acts chapter 6. I want to look at a, something in Acts chapter 6. What did the church do? Well, we were seeing back in chapter uh, 2 that they were, uh, and this is uh, continues in chapter 4, that they were having all things common. But notice in Acts chapter 6, now at this time, the disciples were increasing, we would say growing in number, and the complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Those were Jews that were Greek-speaking and Jews that had kind of adopted a lot of things with the Greek uh, culture against the Hebrews. Those were the Jews that were still very particular about the law at this time because their widows were being overlooked in the daily service. And so they're going to do it. And what he's talking about is, guess what? They saw widows in the church and they took care of them. Today, we don't, we don't even think about that hardly at all anymore in our culture because the government will do that, right? we got government programs to take care of the poor. So if you have a, a widowed person and they don't have the means set aside, well, the government takes care of them. But the church did that. In fact, for centuries and centuries, the church did that. And I don't think that the church, just because it was government programs, that the church is off the hook and say, 
<coughs> excuse me, let them apply to a government program. I don't think at all that that's the way God intends us to be. Not only this, but we're not going to go over there, but if you went over to James chapter 1, when James writes around 50 AD or something, when James writes over there, James tells us that not only we're looking after widows, but they were also looking after orphans. Again, two people that they could go out and get day labor, but they could maybe get jobs picking apples out here, but guess what? Those, the, their bosses were not required to pay the widows and the orphans the same wage that they paid adult men. And so they could barely, on a day working out there, barely make enough money to even feed themselves normally in their culture. Like it or not, that's the way their culture operated. And so the church looked out for these people. And when you get to 1 Timothy 5, which now you're in the 60s, probably about 63 or 64, so we moved at this time now several more years beyond all this, Paul even gives more instructions on the care of widows, assuming that the church should still be doing that. Those are one of the things that the church was doing. Um, we've already talked about teaching. I want to go down to Acts chapter 19. And I want to look at a couple of interesting things that he says here before, we're, before we finish today. But Acts chapter 19. And when you get there, if you go with me to uh, uh, Acts chapter 9. Now this is, this is Paul. This is Acts, uh, verse 9. Acts 19 verse 9. Pardon me. Not chapter 9. Acts 19 and verse 9. Now here in chapter 19, Paul has returned. This is his second visit to Ephesus. And there are some disciples of John the Baptist that they transitioned from this faith that they'd had to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you notice in verse 9, Paul's teaching them and it says, And when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, because or before the multitude and before the multitude by the way that means in front of all these other believers that's what he's doing he's teaching them uh, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples reasoning and that word reasoning is the word literally talking through talking back and forth daily in the school of tyrannus we've talked about this nobody has an idea who tyrannus is we don't know it Maybe it was the name of the building. The building could have been there for 200 years and it had his name on it. We don't know. But that's what the word school is. That word school, we, that word, we get our word school come from this because it's the word skole. It's the word meeting hall. That's all it meant. It was a meeting hall. It doesn't mean that Tyrannus ran a school. He had a meeting hall that people used for different kinds of meetings. Okay? And Paul is takes the disciples away because there's... He's out in the public square teaching these people, and now you get all these other people that keep interrupting. Could you imagine if every Sunday when, us, when we're gathered and we're trying to teach the Word of God, could you imagine if we're constantly being interrupted, people going, that's not true! Jesus is dead! You people are fools! And you have that, if you, you imagine how hard that would be for people to learn? It's not conducive. You, you can deal with a little bit of that, but if it's something that goes on regularly, this is no. And it says, so as a result, he takes the believers and he goes, okay, we're, we're going to go someplace else. And they go to this meeting home by Tyrannus. And it says, and he took them and he was doing this daily. So daily this is offered. Daily he has this, these opportunities for these people to gather with him. And, and this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both the Jews and the Greeks. But they're meeting in this, this meeting hall. One of the things, and I've told you this before, 
we have two Greek manuscripts. So this, I don't think this is scripture, but I think it gives us an illustration. We have two Greek manuscripts that tell us that when they were meeting daily, that they met between the hours of 11 and 3. Some of what the other one says 12 and 4. So you can tell me, I mean, they can't even agree on this. But it's midday, which, what? It was siesta time. In their culture, I think I've told you that, they say in, the, in, the, in that part where they're located here in Greece, they said there were more, the, the, one of the jokes is there were more people up at one in the morning than at one in the afternoon. Because people would get up at one in the morning to start getting ready to take things into market and such like that. Market was usually shut by about 11. People would go home, eat, and would lay down and rest during the heat of the day. Paul didn't rest during the heat of the day. We're told by Paul, we're told of Paul, Luke tells us that Paul worked all night long a lot of times, or Paul tells us that himself. But they were meeting in the heat of the day with believers when everybody else was home taking their naps. Okay? So they're meeting daily. This is one of the things. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20, and I want you to notice what Paul says about this, because this is another part of getting together. Acts chapter 20 and uh, uh, verse 20. He's meeting with these same elders. Now, the elders from this church in Ephesus that we just read about in Acts 19, and it says in verse, uh, verse 20, he says, um, he's talking about, you, you know these things, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable or beneficial, uh, teaching you, in these two things now, teaching you publicly and from house to house. So there's two things that he's doing here. And I think that this is important publicly and from house to house. He's talking, and who's he talking to here, by the way? Who did it say? The elders. Who are the elders? Who do we call them today? Pastors. We call them pastors. Okay. One of the things, that, and this has been challenging to me. I, my brother Dale is not doing well. We've already talked about him. Last time I got to see Dale and his brother uh, down at a forum a few years ago before the whole COVID thing blew that thing up for a couple of, for a few years. I remember going in there and I had just come from a conference with some other pastors and I came in and, and they were trying to talk about how you study. And you know for how those guys studied, how, how that, that conference, they're talking about if I'm gonna study the book of Romans, I go out and I will buy like eight commentaries on Romans. And, before, and I read the text, and then I read through all eight of those commentaries. And I have commentaries, and I do checks things on them. But you know what? When I went to seminary, Dave and Dale, Dr. Schaefer too, but Dave and Dale, who are still living, they actually showed us how to work through a text and how to use your tools. Josh, do you have any of your tools with you today? Yeah. A lot of times he has his Englishman's Greek with him when he comes to church how to work through those things and how to just study the word of God. And you know, most, I would say nine times out of 10, all my questions were answered right there in the text by just doing that work. Now, once in a while, I have a question where I pull out a commentary and, and I'll be honest, a lot of times I find that the commentaries tell me the things I already know and the things I have questions about, they don't answer. They don't even touch them. And I'm like, I go through all of them. I'm like, how do all these guys not even touch this question? I don't get it. Maybe my mind is weird. My wife will tell you that sometimes. It's a little bit weird, but maybe that's it. But I went up to those guys when I got down to that forum, and it was early in the morning, hardly anybody else was there, and I stood there with them for a few minutes, and I said, I just want to tell you, thank you for all the time that you invested. Those guys... 
Think about it. Those guys were teaching. When I went through seminary, they had four students. Four students. One of them was part-time. And I'm thinking, those guys took their time. Four days a week, several hours every day, teaching four of us guys. There's nothing very magnanimous about that or, or magnificent or whatever you want to say it. But those guys showed us how to handle the word. They demonstrated both in how they taught it and actually how to go through the process of studying and how you could do this in a way that, well, I always put, tell Dale this. I'm thankful for him because he did not flunk me in my first semester of Greek. <laughs> and you know what? I tell him because of that, and I am not kidding you, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm saying this because I appreciate what God did and I appreciate Dale's patience with me. I read just straight Greek Testament every day. Well, I would say almost every day. That doesn't make me great. It's just something that I appreciate that I can access God's word that way. And I appreciate Dave because I can, well, I can wade through Hebrew. <laughs> I'm not as proficient with Hebrew by any stretch, but I, I, I can read that too. But I just, I, I thank those guys. Having said all that, that this illustration is going on way too long. But this was the point of it. We had a seminary program. So we would get in our cars and we would drive to where these guys were meeting and we would meet with them and we kind of do this in this little seminary bubble. You know what Paul says? He says, I didn't train you guys like that, you elders. I didn't train you in a seminary bubble. I trained you public, publicly and from house to house. Anybody was welcome. He was focusing his attention on training those men that showed, shall we say, showed that they had a gift to serve in this capacity. But Paul did it publicly, which meant if they would have done that, Holly could have come in there and she could have sat down there. And those elders, and when those elders get up to teach, Holly has listened to what Paul has taught them. And she knows some of these things. So when these guys are teaching these things, she's already heard some of this. And I think one of the things that that does is it keeps all those guys honest to some degree, doesn't it? If you all know this, this is one of the reasons that Jim and Josh and I and Ben and others, when we, when we were teaching the Word of God, this is one of the reasons that we don't, what, what sometimes you were taught, we don't leave all the sawdust in, on the workbench. We bring it in here with us because I think some of you guys need to know this is exactly why we say it and this is how it works. And this is important. So when the church gathered, one of the things that they were doing that we don't, this is not a church thing today. This has not been a church thing for centuries. But this is one of the things that the church did when it met. They were training their next generation of leaders. They were training their next generation. They didn't take those and send them off and say, hey, we're going to send you to this Bible college in Southern California or in Texas or in Pennsylvania or someplace like that. We are going to train you here. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he says, he says, the things you've heard from me, you commit those to dependable men who are able to teach different kinds of people. In other words, not just teachers teaching teachers teaching teachers, but teachers teaching even non-teachers. He says, that's part of your job, to find men that you find to be dependable and competent and pass that on. I think that this is an important thing for us to think about. When we gather, part of this gathering is passing on teaching, and it should be, hopefully, if there's some people that are here that this is what God has planned for them, they're learning from that.
I'm, I'm, I, I'm just going to ask this question. So Josh, do you think at all sitting in a church over the different years that taught you the word, you grew up under some of that and then you were in some of that after I was here. Do you think God used some of that to get your attention that maybe that was a direction he had for you to go? See, yeah. Now, how many of you don't have a pastor teacher gift? I'm not asking you to raise your hands. But you don't have that same feeling. But you know, if you're sitting under the teaching of the word and it's being taught carefully and accurately, I think people that have a pastor teacher gift going, yeah, yeah. And then when you have that opportunity, you share. We all get to share that at times, don't we? Even if we don't have a pastor teacher gift. I want to look at one other thing he's, that, that we have here at Acts chapter 14. Turn with me to Acts 14. When they're together. I spent a lot of time on that one, but I've thought a lot about this whole issue of, of seminary and training. Uh, and going through these, that passage, when I was looking at that, I was like, oh, that would be something good. But here, notice in Acts chapter 14, and he's, uh, Paul has just been stoned. In verse 20, it says, And while the disciples stood around him, he rose, entered into the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to those in that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium. So they go and make disciples, that is, new believers. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. How do you, let me ask you, how do you strengthen the souls of, of believers, disciples? How do you do that? You live out what you're taught. That's some of it. And you teach. People need to know stuff. People have emotional and soul problems that toss them back and forth because people don't know what God's provided us for, for becoming stable in the realm of our soul. What? Yeah. And it goes on. Uh, encouraging them to continue in the faith. You know how many believers don't know any promises from God? You know the promise? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, mo I'm mocking contemporary Christianity, but this, this, is, this is a promise that lots of Christians knew when Peg and I were growing, where Peg and I were in college. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Not plan and I say I can't even quote the verse anymore, but it's out, of Jer it's, it's out of Jeremiah. It's when Jeremiah is in the pit and God's saying, I got plans for you. And everybody quotes that from them, but that's not a promise for us. But are there promises that God has for you and I as New Testament believers? Yeah. And we spent a better part of a year doing a series on living by faith and looking at a whole bunch of those promises that are made to you and I. Here's a promise. Walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the cravings or the lust from the flesh. That's a promise. So he says, they were encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then notice this next thing that Paul tells them. It's just recently here that Paul had been stoned. Now, I don't think this is truncated in just a few verses, but I'm sure that there were several months that transpire in verses 21 through 22 and, and following. But it says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You know what you never find in the New Testament? And it's one of the things that you... I, we just, I can't remember where we were, just, not or just recently when we went past a church and they had a big sign out front fall festival and they had these weekends for their church and they had a bouncy house and i remember seeing these down in texas when we were down there and you know what you know what churches are trying to make people think today come to the church because the church is fun and you know what paul taught christians you know what people you're gonna have to live by faith because we're gonna go through tribulation 
And the early church did go through tribulation. They went through a lot of tribulation. It's, to me, I'm going get, to get angry if I talk about it too much, but it, seriously, it really gets me upset that the church is trying to sell people to come to church because church is fun. We have fun. Can we have fun together? Do we ever have fun together? Yeah, we can have fun together. But is that what church is about? Is getting together because church is cool and it's fun? No, it's because we're family. And is getting together with your family, is it always cool and fun? <laughs> Just think about your own personal family. Is it always that way? Yes. There's, oh, okay, I'm glad. I'm glad that the ors don't, don't ever have... You know, I don't know, my girls have to deal with me and it's not always fun when they come home. Oh, dad, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the bad guy in this case. But the whole point is, they were, they were up front. Paul was up front with people. He didn't want to sell them a bill of goods. I've, I've listened to Sean McDowell, if you guys don't listen to his podcast. And he was talking about all the people that have left the Christian faith. And one of the number one things they have is they never realized how much how hard it is. Because they were sold on the bill of goods. Exactly what we said. That Christianity is all about fun. And when you start having, and when you're praying to God and you're sick and you don't get better, or this person you care about is sick and they're dying, and you pray to God and they don't get better, and you're going, wait a second, this isn't the Christianity I signed on for. I signed on for Christianity with a God button that, problem? Push the God button. Push the God button. Push the God button. And every time you do that, you know, confetti comes down and there's plot. No. Paul is saying here, guess what? I'm telling you, tribulations are coming and that's how you're going to enter that future part of the kingdom of God. You're going to go through stuff that's hard. And God isn't going to rescue out of all of it. You're going to have problems. we got a brother down here. I always appreciate Gary, the different things that he still makes cracks about what he went through. I'm thankful to God that God's allowed Gary to stay with us. But all you have to do is talk with him. He suffered long-term effects of that. And a lot of you are like that. You have long-term effects that you've gone through. And you still glorify God through that, right? You don't glorify God through the fact that every day your Cadillac is shiny clean. I don't know. Nobody drives Cadillacs anymore. But you know what I'm saying. Anyway, we could go on and on. Yes, exactly, exactly. Exactly. And it says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, that's one of the other things that went on. You always had to have elders in these churches. You had to have these people that were going to be able to lead them. Having, and then it talks about praying and fasting, what they did there at the end of that. All of this to say, what did early church look like? It was people that got together regularly. They ate meals together regularly. They sat under teaching regularly. They, had, they, they were finding leadership. And they recognized the fact that they were going to go through some challenges. Some challenges is putting it lightly. Going through some diverse, some hard problems. And as they're going through those things, one of the things that they need to do is to have the faith. And to act, operate continually by the faith. I don't do this very often, but I need my phone. I don't do this. I'm not a. I am not a poem guy. But uh, there is. Oh, here it is. Oh, I think he emailed it to me. That's what he did. Oh, okay. He, he, just give me a second here. Let me pull it up on my email. I thought it was on my phone. There's a a gentleman. I'm not going to find it now, am I? I sh this is called being unprepared. 
And I thought yesterday I really wanted to do this. Here it is. Here it is. This, this is a guy that uh, um, knows Dale and Sandy, and he's down in Tennessee. He says, I know not when nor how I go from this familiar scene, but Christ is here and Christ is there and all the way between. And when I pass from all I know to my eternal home, though late I stay or soon I go, I shall not go alone. And on that day when home at last, I'll join the sweet refrain, all glory to the Lamb of God, who for our sins was slain. Christ is in heaven. That's the end of the poem. And then he added, Christ is in heaven. Christ is in me. I'm here, I'm here till he calls me, and then I'll be free. Father, we're thankful for the morning. We're thankful for the fact that your word tells us, gives us these pictures of what the church looked like. And you've none of these places have you actually said that this is exactly the way we need to do it. But it does show us that there was generally a pattern and help us as believers to think about ourselves and how we play a role in that pattern, how we gather and can follow some of that pattern as, as uh, we have opportunity. Uh, we're thankful for this. Being part of the church is a very big deal because it's your plan and design for this present time. And we are each members of that church, whether we're, uh, we're, we're all members because we believed in your son, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for that. Thankful for this time together now and thankful for the time of fellowship again downstairs. Amen.